Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with Kinstead Wealth, where they give private investors access to the best asset class managers in the world. As a business owner who simply did not have the time nor the knowledge to manage my own financial assets, I was always on the hunt for a partner that would be able to give me access to something more than the stock market. Two years ago, I was introduced to Kinstead Wealth, and my eyes were open to an entirely new set of possibilities. Their pension endowment style approach to portfolio management allowed a portion of my portfolio to be allocated to non-traditional assets such as private equity, private agriculture, private real estate, and private infrastructure, amongst others. This allowed me to have access to non-traditional assets that have return expectations superior to public stocks while having lower volatility. With these assets added to my traditional portfolio, I had the opportunity to enhance my returns and lower my volatility overall. You may be asking yourself, what do you mean by non-traditional assets? In short, these are institutional quality assets that are not promoted to the retail market, but to the pension, endowment, foundations, and family offices due to the fact that their minimums are very high. By partnering with Kinset as an investor, I was able to gain access to these financial vehicles that are typically out of reach for most people. To learn more about how Kinset can help you and your family, please visit them today at www.kinstead.com. Kinstead Wealth is a very proud member of our community and donates 1% of their top-line revenue every year to the charitable sector. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to Miss Lynette Tromblay. How are you, Lynette? Good, thanks, Tyler. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You are Vice President Investor Services at Invest Alberta, and I'm going to start right there. What I've recently, <laughs> you guys have got on my radar in the last little bit, and, and I've just come to realize that you've only been spun up over the last couple of years. So let's start by just laying the laying the laying the foundation for our audience. Tell us a little bit about Invest Alberta, your role, and then let let the conversation unfold from there. <laughs> Great. Yeah, as spun out is a good word um, for it, I guess, uh, depending on how you take spun out. Spun uh, up, spun out. We yeah, were, no, that was not meant yeah. in any derogatory way. Just to be clear. <laughs> uh, we were um, created by the government of Alberta. Uh, there was an Invest Alberta that existed within government, but um, this government decided that it would be best, the investors would be best served by an arm's length, um, somewhat independent agency. So we were created as a crown corporation in 2020. And um, I always kind of make the joke of what a great time to create an investment attraction agency in the middle of a global pandemic, uh, when FDI, sorry, foreign direct investment, uh, was was trending downward by 40%. But um, some of us love a challenge. And uh, on some level, it, it is it is a great time to do it because doubling down on investment attraction at a time like that is really important. So uh, we are an arm's length agency, uh, but the arm is still attached to government, as I mentioned earlier. And um, so we were created specifically to attract jobs and investment into the province. We focus on a number of core sectors, our strength sectors like uh, agriculture, energy, tourism, but also some of these emerging sectors uh, where we're focusing on that diversification and uh, technology and innovation and um, life sciences and aerospace and logistics, uh, for example. And so we also uh, inherited the international office network uh, that Alberta has. Some folks may not know that Alberta had international offices. Some of them actually uh, date back to the 1970s. Uh, the wow. Japan office was created in 1970. So how, so how many offices? Because no, I didn't know that. I think that's a really interesting tidbit to talk about. You know, and also 
putting all of these different organizations, agencies into the right bucket of like, you know, versus I had, I was chatting with Brad Perry from Calgary Economic Development and asked him, what's the relationship between province and city and looking and, you know, I know they do missions outside of, you know, on a global stage, looking at, you know, your primary objective as Invest Alberta is to bring investment opportunities to the province. Once they're here, do you still engage with them? Or is that point there's a handoff and you go back to kind of back out to, you know, searching the world for the right opportunities to bring here? Once they've landed um, safely and opened their doors, uh, that's essentially when the municipality, wherever they locate, okay. kind of takes over and uh, and does that retention piece. And then we like, go back out and hunt for more. And so uh, we do work really closely with the municipalities, with uh, groups like Calgary Economic Development, Platform Calgary, and um, you know, another, uh, e- even other post-secondaries like University of Calgary and uh, other groups. So there's a lot of collaboration going on um, with uh, groups across Calgary and Alberta uh, on how we both attract and then also make sure that those, those investments land safely in Alberta. So how many, sorry, I skipped over my own question. Uh, how, many, how many offices <laughs> do you guys have globally? Right, uh, so growing. Um, we started out with uh, 11 and um, so we inherited the existing network, which was mostly concentrated in Asia. Okay. There's uh, several in greater China. We have Japan, South Korea, and Taiwan. Um, and then we've got India and one in London. Uh, but we had actually none in the US, uh, which is a massive hmm. market for us, and also none in uh, continental Europe. So we are looking at uh, expanding into those new markets. We did some research uh, at which ones were probably the most uh, high potential markets for us. And we narrowed down to uh, the U.S., of course, but specific parts of the U.S. So we just announced last week, I believe, uh, that we uh, are expanding our presence into Houston. Uh, San Francisco is coming up. And uh, we're announcing today, actually, that um, we've established a partnership in the UAE uh, to have a person in Dubai and, and a person in Abu Dhabi. Uh, because we feel that that's a really important emerging market. We're also looking at um, Germany and uh, expanding some of our other presences as well. And uh, New York is on the list. This is that's, this is very exciting. I'm quite excited now. I did I did not know any of this information. So uh, now now I have a million questions. As as I've often I've often <laughs> been disgustingly curious. Someone called me the other day. I'm like, that's the weirdest compliment I've ever gotten. But I'm going to take it. Um, if I'm in the UAE, is this a Cal- is this an Albertan? Is this somebody locally? Is that you know with these jurisdictions, is it so critical to have somebody that can really sell the Al- the Alberta story, but yet really understands the nuance of culture and how the world works in these because you talked about very interesting jurisdictions that arguably have very different values they do business they do deals differently their due diligence processes are different just you know the uae to 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 houston to to greater china i'm just curious how how do you staff these and how challenging is it to get people on the ground there that either understand that market or can really understand our market to tell the story Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's a bit of a mix, to be honest. So some of our international team members are Albertans. Uh, a lot of them, though, are local. Uh, and so that has its benefits and, and, and challenges, right? They, so if you're an Albertan, uh, chances are you know all about Alberta and how to sell all of the great opportunities here. But one of the most important values of having staff on the ground in these markets is their network. And so generally, uh, it takes time to build a network if you're new to a market. So having... A local staff uh, represent us there. The, we really like to get people who already have a really great network 
in, in that market. But then that means that we need to make sure that they know all of the great uh, aspects to Alberta. So part of how we do that is they work really closely with our team in Alberta. We do travel to those jurisdictions and uh, work closely with them on on what our brand is and what, what we have to market. And then we also, I, we haven't been able to because of COVID, but we would like to bring our international team here to actually see the communities that we are promoting and be able to interact directly with the municipalities and the businesses in those communities. So interesting. So many cool, well, and to use the hunting, an overused analogy in sales, but you need a hunting guide because <laughs> if you're hunting on some yes. part of the world you've never been to before, <laughs> your odds of getting lost and just walking around in the woods, it's probably a high chance of being ineffective from that perspective, just to, just to use an overused sales, sales, sales analogies. And it, I have, I really take heart to what you said, like very interesting time to start when global travel is restricted, where global investment people are, you know, there's more of an isolationist mindset that was, that's been emerging globally. When you're out there telling the Alberta story, sorry, I'm, I know we're here to talk a little bit about the Alberta budget 2022, but I've got so many questions <laughs> as I'm learning about you guys. And like, I guess, are you seeing any real outliers with some of the sectors that we're promoting in Alberta, whether it's ag or aviation logistics? And yes, I'm cheating off your site right now. Energy and clean tech, financial services, petrochemicals. Are you seeing like, is there any any specific areas that are really showing up or that are easier to tell? And I guess is the interest level of what's happening in UAE versus what's happening in greater China? Is it sector based or is it like, wow, Alberta really has a great ag uh, reputation. It really has a great, obviously, fossil fuels. I'm assuming there's parts of those stories that are easy to tell versus what trends are actually happening globally and how we get ourselves into those conversations? I think we're really well known for very specific things. Uh, So it's a little harder to tell any stories outside of that. We really have to work extra hard to promote the, those, those advantages that we have in other sectors. But what I'm finding is uh, as soon as we do, investors are really receptive to it. And I think that the sort of proof is is meted out in some of the investments that we've landed recently. If you look at uh, where they are, not geographically so much, but uh, in sectors, they represent a really broad cross-section of sectors. So we've attracted, in the last uh, two years, I guess, we've attracted technology investments, we've attracted fintech and financial services investments. Um, we're uh, working on announcing an aerospace investment. That's all I can really say on that oh, one. Okay, I like the little um, secrecy, attracted- especially around aerospace. Like, ooh, we're definitely gonna keep that one on the download. <laughs> Uh, it's it's not NASA level, but a little a little you know write confidential yeah. on something if you want someone to be really curious about it. <laughs> well, agri- agriculture yeah. and um, and and hydrogen, so it really does span across uh, all of that. Mm-hmm. And and actually, there's a life sciences and, uh, announcement coming up as well. So we've actually hit each of the sectors. So I think that there that's proof that that the value proposition is there for those sectors. It's just a matter of getting uh, it on people's radar. And that is one of our biggest challenges, I find. Um, one of the opportunities we have is this notion of nearshoring, which means basically now companies mm-hmm. are looking at markets where they never would have looked at them before because they want to be close to supply, close to customers, and they they want to hedge their bets. So, so more companies are interested in, in different sectors in Canada that never would have been before. Um, but getting on their radar because they naturally gravitate towards Quebec and Ontario uh, is is a challenge. But we find once we do, they're really compelled by Alberta's value proposition. 
I appreciate it. Uh, interesting. It, you know, what, what is an Alberta joke I've heard many times years ago when companies were out uh, representing Alberta on that on the global stage and, and just people not knowing and how that's even shifted the last couple of years. So curious, just going your name, Invest Alberta, when you guys look at your success metrics, is it pure dollars invested? Is it companies landed? Is it jobs created? What are some of the like, just kind of key criteria you guys look at to go, hey, we're, this is working. We're, we, are, we are meeting our objective as an organization, as a, as a, as a, as a Crown Corp. Mm. Well, in uh, the legislation that created us, it stated that we are to attract high impact and high value investment. Okay. And a lot of folks, you know, ask, what does that it mean? Would be, it, would have been my next, it would have been my next <laughs> question. <Lynette. laughs> and how we define it is, is a challenge. Um, and we also get asked, do you have a threshold? You know, so do you only deal with investment that is a minimum number of capital or minimum number of I love the question. Jobs? What would be too big? I'm like, well, you give me an option and I'll tell yeah. you if it's too big or not. That's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is 10 billion too big for you? No, no. No, no, no. <laughs> try I, harder. I think, try harder. Um, you, almost, you try harder. <laughs> I didn't want to set, uh, when we set uh, kind of our, our KPIs and things like that, I really didn't want to set a hard number of, well, we will only deal with investment over this amount okay. or over this number of jobs. Because when you think about high impact, high value, uh, our sort of North Star is what is going to have the biggest impact on Alberta's economy and our economic transformation. So I guess that's another way of saying diversification. Right. And I guess the question would be um, in what time horizon? Because you know yes. if you're trying to build a new sector here and trying to get a foothold, Exactly. A couple smalls equals a couple bigs later on down the road. So do you guys operate? Are you, are you looking at a 10-year horizon for some? Because the ROI, our ROI on these global moves of organizations and sectors and develop, you know, what the joke I think uh, Jim Gibson made was we're 10, years, we're, we're 10 years late to a 20-year plan. But keep in mind, I like the concept of this is a longer horizon thing. And yes, this might look small now, but and let's look at the next five or 10 years. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. We've attracted some pretty big investments. Mm -hmm. The hydrogen investments are in the billions of dollars, thousands of jobs. Um, but uh, I think equally impactful are some of the fintech um, investments that we've attracted that may be only, um, you know, dozens of jobs, but we're growing a new sector, a new, a, a new strength, a new vertical uh, for Alberta that can make us even more competitive. And, and I think it goes to this this idea of talent and that being a real driver of what makes us attractive. And you retain talent and attract talent when you have interesting jobs for for them to be able to to grab onto. So that's where attracting those those different kinds of industries gives us a leg up on talent retention, which then makes us broadly competitive. Yeah, the, the concept of money follows talent, not the other way around, you know, because like, yes. uh, why would I set up there if I'm going to immediately have a restriction in terms of my ability to, to uh, get, ultimately always comes down to the people. You, you still need the people to do, to, to do the thing. Uh, so I don't want to, I could just keep asking more and more questions about Alves Alberta, but maybe we'll pause that for another. I would love to get your comments. And this is an area of me where I, I'll be very candid. I, of course, the budget comes out, I look at it, I go, hmm, okay, how does this affect me? How does it not? Like probably putting myself as the, I'm, I'm putting myself as the quintessential Albertan. I don't know if that's accurate or not. Um, but I look at it and go, okay, we're going to increase healthcare. We're going to get people back to work and we're going to, we're going to have, oh, we're, did someone say balanced budget? Well, that, that got my attention. So when it comes to, you know, the, the role you play when you look at what's happening in our province and the story that you're telling globally, what role does, does our, does our Alberta budget 2022 play? And what are some of the things that jump out, you know, with your lens, what are you seeing when you see that, that budget come out? 
Maybe I'll start with the balanced budget. Yeah, no, let's start with the end. Let's start with the cherry on top, 100%. And and I mean, it's a lot of people ask, does a balanced budget really matter from an investment standpoint? Like, obviously, it matters to us as Albertans, and some might argue. No, it's a good question because my answer is, of course it matters. Then I'm like, well, why then, Tyler? (laughs) I can't defend that argument. And, and, and I guess, yeah, why does it matter to Albertans and why does it matter to business? And so drilling down into that, basically, um, I'll, I'll, st- I'll, I'll focus on the investor perspective. Okay, please. That's kind I, of yeah, ab- my jam. Absolutely. But- <laughs> we can stay in our lanes. We can jump in other lanes. It's okay. That's the nice thing about a podcast. <laughs> well, but, but I mean, this, the pr- principles apply across the board. Right. So balanced budgets do matter um, to investment, mostly because of stability and certainty. And um, two things that will put a chill on investment right away are instability and uncertainty in a jurisdiction, whether that's political instability, whether that's financial instability or regulatory instability. Um, that's that's what they look for. So well, because it translates uh, our, to a higher risk factor and I'm trying to mitigate, mitigate my risk exactly. and maximize my upside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our CEO uh, likes to joke that our new slogan is going to be, come to Alberta, we're boring. And I'm trying to convince him that that's maybe not the most exciting. I see where he's <laughs> going. I see where they're going with it. I, as a marketer, I would say, mm, you know what? Great idea. Let's try a couple more. <laughs> um, so basically, uh, when there's a deficit, uh, governments have really only two options to solve for that, right? Cut spending and raise revenue. And both have challenges. Yeah. Cutting spending can have impacts on businesses in terms of the programs available, the business supports available. And then raising revenue is just a fancy term for raising taxes because there's really not many other ways other than like we talked about before, uh, praying for oil prices to go up. Uh, there are not really a lot of other ways to raise revenue. So when investors yeah. see a deficit, they they worry about those two aspects. When they see a balanced budget or surplus, uh, to them, it means that they can count on a business-friendly environment mm. yeah, uh, for the most part, so the, right? The, Policies the, the, have The, the dance that, we but. did for um, to bring the oil prices, certainly, like you said, uh, you know, hope is not a strategy. But in this case, it did. It took longer than I think everybody wanted, which I think also has maybe some of its own positives, which I have to be careful that get some hate mail when I say things like that. Yeah, we could have we could have got out of this a few years ago, but I do believe it has driven some change that maybe wouldn't have happened if things would have gone, quote-unquote, back to normal sooner. And then, of course, like, we can't have this conversation without saying, global pandemic. <laughs> you know, I know we, we talked about before this episode, we were going to try to keep the buzzwords to a minimum. I think we've done, done well, <laughs> but that impact, and I appreciate that you guys started right at that time. So when you looked at the budget, obviously a balanced budget tells a really good story to, but beyond, beyond that, do they lean in on like kind of what is our healthcare spending looking like? To, like, are those conversations you have with companies when they look, or is it more, what's the housing prices? What's the cost of living for my team if I need to move people there? Like, how, how down pedestrian, to, like how close to the street do those conversations become with some of these organizations for you? Well, they don't get into the level of granularity of like, what do you spend on healthcare? But okay, yeah, I would be weird aspects- if you said yes. I didn't think that was, but I thought I would pick that one. <laughs> How much are they spending on age this year? Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> but they do look at those principles. So um, I'll give you a really tangible example. Two, I think two weeks-ish after the budget, we were in New York uh, meeting with um, private equity firms, global investors, and uh, we brought with us a strong ESG message. Mm, okay. um, so for those who don't know, ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. Used to be referred to as corporate social responsibility. It's kind of shifted to ESG now. Uh, same same idea. So what we've mostly focused on, um, the collective we, 
the attention is, has been mostly on emissions, right? And, and uh, on, on the E part of ESG. But increasingly, everyone, including investors, are looking at what are you doing for S and G, for the social and the governance aspect of ESG. And so they do look at what are we, uh, what are the aspects of our indigenous reconciliation and, and economic participation? Um, what does our equity, diversity, and inclusion look like? What are the different governance principles? And that's where it comes back to balanced budgets, right? What are our credit ratings? Those are those are aspects of the governance mm, part of ESG. Filter. So, okay. yeah. So we um, we brought that message, and it was really well received in in those capital markets. And it, and why that's important is that's where a lot of the money comes from for the big projects that uh, that we see in Alberta, and even some of the some of the smaller projects. So some of the the tech companies, but those firms have an ESG lens for where and what they will invest in. And so their misperception, I would say, of Alberta led to Alberta kind of being blacklisted to some degree from some of these these big equity firms. And uh, so we've really been working hard along with the ESG secretariat and uh, the government and other partners to change that narrative, change those perceptions and get that money flowing back into Alberta. I really appreciate you know, just bringing up the con- ESG. You can't go anywhere now without not running into the, the acronym. Yeah. And you're right, social, corporate social responsibility. But it seems like it's becoming so much more. And it, it's not table stakes anymore. It is, a, like, I should say it is table stakes. But it's you've got to really exceed it. When you're out there telling that Alberta story, I guess, yeah, how much how much are you swimming upstream against a negative narrative? Or is that starting to shift? Like, it sounds like you're having to not only tell the story, but you have to overwrite an old story that's that's maybe no longer true or maybe wasn't ever true. Uh, but you're right. We didn't do, we kind of lost control of our narrative. I would just say that broadly over the last kind of 10 years mm-hmm. as a province. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and going back to my, my old comms and marketing days, um, I would always tell people when it came to brand, if you don't take control of your brand, someone else will. And the other thing, my other adage is uh, it's a lot harder to change a brand than create a brand. So on some level, if people don't know about you, uh, it's a little easier because then you get to yeah. create the image with them, but if they have an established image, it's really hard to change that. Uh, not impossible. Well, the burden but of the truth then lays on you, right? <laughs> not them. Yeah, yeah we already we yes. already have the belief. When you're out in these, uh, I guess when you think about that ability to tell that story, uh, that's a competitive advantage. It's a value proposition. Let's we'll get back to our our comms and marketing kind of shared shared backgrounds. The ability to like these same firms are being pitched by other jurisdictions that are also telling stories. I guess if you know from that perception of Alberta abroad, of changing it. But I guess how much, looking at the world and some of the instability that's happening all globally, which we won't, we won't get into, that could be a whole other two or three podcasts, maybe more. Uh, are we starting to, are we looking safer because of the way the rest of the world is looking unsafe? <laughs> is maybe that a weird, weird way to say that? <laughs> it's not a weird way. And it, it feels sort of wrong to see a, a, an opportunity for us in the horrific things that are happening uh, across the ocean. Um, but the, I guess that the reality is this does present an opportunity for Alberta. So yeah. I see a lot of people have, have heard the government start to talk about energy security. Um, and, uh, I'm going to be in Ireland actually at the end of the month, uh, talking to a number of companies and they're interested in, in, in understanding how they can divert their, um, reliance away from, from Russian energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that presents Alberta with an opportunity. And that's also, I would suggest, where our ESG message becomes really important right. because it's for them not just about getting away from Russian oil and, and Russian energy. It's about going towards 
uh, a partnership with a jurisdiction that has a track record and has has values and principles that they can align with. I think what's happening in Ukraine is makes that even more important to to well, understanding the reasons so, why they're wanting to change their supplier if we just want to talk in very simple yeah. business terms so i i would imagine mm-hmm. they're going to be a lot more diligent to go okay we're not just going to change for the sake of moving away from it's kind of the away from towards like what are you moving away from but what are you moving towards yes you know and i had um i was chatting with brian belanger from arc financial and he said something that his founder had said to him it's like the last barrel needs to be the best oil the beans needs to, the last barrel needs to be the best barrel. Yes, there's energy transition and we're moving, but in the meantime, while we're still using fossil fuels, those barrels that are being used need to be the best and then check, check, check all the things that make that true. And he goes, Alberta has a strong value proposition there that often other jurisdictions in the world that are major suppliers don't have. And I really like the last the last barrel ever drawn needs to be the best barrel drawn. I something really it's something about that just I love I love a good marketing message and the simplicity of that really resonated with me. And you know, that's a narrative that I think Canada as a whole has definitely missed out on the last few years. But again, we're wading into a much bigger conversation. <laughs> Ooh, this <laughs> and, is a, uh, <laughs> I learned when that went down this weird rabbit hole on their, on their podcast. The <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about talent. <laughs> nice, nice segue. There's a non talk. Let's talk about talent. How much is that a factor and how closely do you work with the post-secondaries? I, I'm going to grab on that thread right away. Uh, work with the post-secondaries in Alberta to make sure that you can ans- answer the talent question when you're having these conversations in New York. Well, that's uh, and and it is a good segue back to budget because um, you know if if you because I talked about we'll we'll talk about the macro parts of the budget, but getting down into the specifics, talent, the focus on talent in the budget is critically important for investment and and even for existing businesses in Alberta. And, and we talked about earlier where so goes the talent, so goes the investment, um, yes. and uh, and it's absolutely true. Jurisdictions who have. Um, the trifecta of available talent, affordable talent, and highly skilled talent uh, are going to win the investments. And uh, one perfect example actually is a uh, company that we're working with right now uh, who is is looking at uh, establishing a footprint in Alberta. They are um, from uh, Europe. I can't give too many details. I can see, I'm gonna, I can see I'm you're, gonna... <laughs> you're, you're, you're sorting the story out in your mind as you talk. I can see it spinning. No, like, problem, okay. no problem, no problem. Don't preempt our announcement to, in a few weeks, but uh, so yeah, they're they're from from Europe and uh, they're trying to expand into North America. They first had a foray into Nashville and New Jersey, and um, and it's a tech company. Okay. And they they expressed that they were disappointed in the the talent situation there in terms of the competitiveness, the um, the cost, and then also just the lack of loyalty. They couldn't retain talent because they'll just sort of jump across the street for a higher higher price and um and then they found alberta and were just really impressed with what we had to offer and so they've decided to create a bigger footprint here than any of their u.s operations and make that their flagship north american uh headquarters and so we're hearing that actually from a lot of different companies not just this specific Mm -hmm. one that i'm mentioning and uh but on the flip side, we do have lots of talent right now. We do have affordable talent. Um, we have a really easy time retaining talent. That's one of our, our key value propositions because once people move here, they want to stay here for all kinds of reasons, including quality of life. One of the challenges is as we grow and attract these new investments, we need to be able to have more talent to fill them. So we will, as a, as a relatively small province, never have enough and so the government has now shifted its focus to not only do we need to 
develop talent through our post-secondaries, but we actually need to attract more talent. We need to bring more in. And uh, so that's where we're focusing in on promoting Alberta's brand for a talent attraction in other jurisdictions where maybe the cost of living is higher and uh, maybe the, the jobs aren't aren't there for them and uh, the market is saturated so it's it's more competitive. We're saying come to Alberta. Things are going to be better for you here. And so that focus on talent development, retention and attraction is really, really important to our ability to attract and retain investment. It's such an interesting, it's always the dichotomy of like, if, if, I don't, if I don't have experience, I can't get hired. If you don't hire me, I can't get experience. If we don't have the companies here, we won't get the talent because they want to go, they want to look and say, well, geez, if I do my two-year stint here at this perfect job, where's my next perfect job? I know that's mission critical. But if we don't have the talent, mm-hmm. we can't attract those companies that create that diversity to allow that those individuals to just constantly be learning and reskilling and moving themselves around. It's such an interesting dilemma, which is just feels that we're, we're early to the party. <laughs> we're on the path, but it's it, it, it does take time. Back to your conversation about the, company we will not mention from the UK, uh, from Europe. Yet. <laughs> How long was the typical conversation like that? Like these are not overnight decisions. These are months, years. What's the typical timeline from when you're, you'll have your first date when they're at the top of the, we'll use the sales, the sales <laughs> from top of the funnel down to actually they're in the consideration phase and they're here and they visited now that they can, their boots on the ground, they're walking around and then they're actually going yes. And then how long does it take for things to actually happen from the yes to getting actual people like things actually happening in the province? It really, a lot of it depends on the sector. Mm. Um, okay, different sectors move at different, different speeds. The, mm. Yeah, the tech sector te- tends to move a little faster. Okay. Anything that has to do with you know manufacturing or um, some kind of heavy industrial facility tends to take a lot longer. Uh, from a petrochemical standpoint, those decisions take five to seven years. Yeah. And um, you know, at the very least, you're looking at probably 18 months from a conversation to a, a decision. And mm-hmm. so it's, it is challenging, right? Because we need things to happen fast and we need things to happen at a high volume. And so we're constantly out there, not only pitching new ideas to investors, but also trying to get in to a, a, an investment decision investors already trying to make. So when they're already looking for a jurisdiction, when they maybe have um, looked at some jurisdictions and we're trying to get onto their list. So there's different stages where we can get into the conversation. Uh, and we're trying to accelerate those as best we can, but it does it does take a long time, and uh, and sometimes you know it can stall out for for various reasons. So, you know, <laughs> like I, a global I, like a global well, pandemic. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, that old you bring things. that old chestnut up again. Yeah. No. So yeah. <laughs> you guys have been how long have you guys been established? Are you at twenty four? Two years? Twenty four months? Uh, just about two just years. About two years. Yeah. So based on that. Start, a cold start two years ago, it makes sense why now some of these conversations are starting to come to fruition. If you take your 18 months and, you know, just getting out there and I'm assuming you guys, every time, like any sales, every time you have a conversation, you hear things back that shifts your narrative and, you know, you fill in your blanks and your presentation gets tighter and better. And, but then you move to a whole nother sector that has probably a different set of value propositions that you need to speak to. Whether how quick can you well, how quick can you spin up an office space for us versus we've got to execute on a capital a capex uh, you know investment to be able to even do business there very different than putting fifty or hundred bodies in a in a space downtown to building a new petrochemical facility in mid or north, central or northern Alberta. Mm-hmm. But even though we can't necessarily um, uh, affect the overall life cycle of a decision, we can accelerate uh, a decision 
uh, we have we have the ability to to have an impact on accelerating a decision um, and getting it across the finish line. So that's a lot of what we've been doing. Okay. Uh, some of the files that we've brought in and are working on have been in the works for years, mm-hmm. but they've maybe been moving along slowly or they hit a bit of a snag. Uh, and so we come in and, and that's actually what my investor services team is all geared for uh, in Invest Alberta. We've got our, our investment team, which is our, our sales team. They go out there and they do the hunting. And um, I'm not going to continue on that gory analogy. I know, but I know. We need to stop. <laughs> it's so overused. I get it. It's easy to use. But yes, it, it has a whole other connotation that we don't need to, to, to explain. <laughs> I tried to use a fishing metaphor and it did, it turned out equally as gory because I said that the uh, investment team does like does the fishing and then my team guts the fish and mounts it on the wall and the, that was horrifying yeah, you know, I for think people. That, I, I can uh, see that might not be popular uh, in these in these uh, these sensitive times we live in. <laughs> the, but, the business community uh, yeah, still services. uses rough analogies. It's just how it is a little bit. It is, yeah, and it's it's a quick way of, of explaining a complex topic. But investor services is focused on all of the different components that investors and services that uh, investors need in order to make their decision and get them to a yes. And so we've built that as a differentiator for Invest Alberta compared to other jurisdictions, okay. where we give them sort of that end to end support uh, when it comes to navigating government and regulatory troubleshooting some of those issues, uh, identifying financial supports, um, connecting them into other stakeholders and um, helping them find opportunities for recruitment, site selection, um, basically all the different components that they need. And if we can make that easier and if we can get ahead of of problem solving and troubleshooting issues, uh, we can actually accelerate their decision process. Well, it's just good customer journey mapping and and removing friction, right? (laughs) Ultimately. Exactly. Uh, Curious. Yeah, see, that's why you're marketing. You said it way better than I did. And in like four Well, you laid it out. You make it easy. I can just paraphrase that. You you said all the truths. I just went, well, so so what you mean is this. Uh, It's the gift of being the host. Um, Really smart guests make my job really easy. Uh, I'm curious around the budget. Was there anything like put put your sales hat on? I've never mm-hmm. met a salesperson who was like, well, geez, if we didn't, if we just had this, I could close this deal. If we just, you know, could give this incentive. Was there anything in this budget that you would say, and this isn't about criticism, it's about reality. I know the arm's length with the arm is still attached. Comment from the beginning is bringing true. <laughs> is there anything on this budget that you, you as, a, as, a, as a face of our province who's out there selling the story of coming here, was there anything you're like, oh man, if we just, oh, if we just had this, it would have made a difference. Is there anything in this that certain incentives or is that maybe... Min- ties back to municipal. Is there anything that you would say has gotten in your way or that you would have liked to have seen been different in the budget this year in relation to your role? I, uh, well, I'll start by saying there's always more we can do. <laughs> so, Lynette, you spent a little bit of time say... in politics, I can tell. I do appreciate your answers. <laughs> there's, I would never say, okay, we're, we're good enough here. That would be, always... no, you don't strike me as that we're good yeah. enough kind of person. So, okay. Mm. Yeah. So, so what, what so, uh, wave the magic wand. What so would we change? What would we change? Yeah. Uh, and incentives are a really contentious topic like they're a lightning rod for people Um, but at the end of the day I guess how I frame incentives and I've done a lot of this research on what what are other jurisdictions doing what's our competitive position versus them I would say that um, even though talent is a huge driver quality of life and all of these other pieces it's a business decision it's still a business deciding to locate somewhere and it's got to be a business decision based on the economics of the the project. And so when it comes down to it, 
um, all what it what ultimately makes the decision is are we cost competitive versus another jurisdiction, and so it, it's a matter of for specific sectors and we've done all of this work for specific sectors looking at who are we competing against for that that type of investment and how do we measure up against them, okay. and so in some and and specific to the drivers of that particular investment. So for some drivers, talent is the most important thing. For others, it's it's cost of, of construction. Um, for others, it's maybe utility costs. It's different for different investments. And in some factors, maybe we win out and some, the other jurisdiction wins right. out. And, and it just is a matter of, you know, who gets to push it over the edge. But that's where incentives come in, is in, if done in a smart and targeted way, they help uh, level that competitive playing field and push us to the top of a list. So that's where they tend to be used effectively. <laughs> if you just put them out willy-nilly. No, the blanket um, one-size-fits-all incentive is, yeah. is a, that's, that I think we've yeah. seen that to be very problematic, whether you're adding it or removing it. And it has to be based on our, our competitive advantages already. I'm a big believer in you can't use, or shouldn't at least use incentives to create a brand new industry somewhere where you don't actually have an advantage for it or a reason for it to be there. Um, that's where you're never going to win out economic, uh, economically on that. So from that standpoint, um, going back to talent and, and drivers for tech investment that we're really trying to attract, we do have an advantage there. But at the end of the day, the highest cost uh, for, for a tech investment is their talent. Their capital is human capital. And so they're looking at where can we, and we do have affordable talent here, but when you look at what our competitor jurisdictions have done, we have to make sure that we have the most cost competitive talent. And that's where uh, coming out of the budget, certainly the um, interactive digital media and gaming sector, we're really looking for some kind of a labor-based uh, incentive or tax credit uh, to be able to offset that cost and help them expand here. Uh, they didn't see that. I know that they expressed some disappointment. And beyond that specific uh, sector, there are the broad, broader tech sector is looking for that. Um, certainly a lot of the tech companies we've been talking to that's what they're looking for as well. So uh, that definitely would make it a lot easier to attract these these tech investments. It's not the only thing that can help us do that, but but that would be that is something that we're missing right now. We have um, incentives or programs geared towards startups, but in our tech ecosystem, we have a lot of startups. We have we have a high per, high number high ratio of startups in our ecosystem. That's not really our problem. Um, our problem is we don't have as many scale-ups, mid-size and large-size companies, and you need all of them to make a functioning ecosystem. So like what you are talking about earlier, when this is what talent looks for, uh, if you have the large anchor companies, a lot of times the talent from those companies that either gets developed here or attract, attracted to here, they spin out and they create their own startups. Yeah. And then you've got also that senior level talent that can help the startup scale up. So it's this whole ecosystem approach and we need to be able to attract all manner and size of companies. And that's where those programs can come into handy. I really appreciate your insight around, you, you know, you have to, sector to sector, they value different things. So, you know, I remember right after the budget came out, like CBC, I've become my grandfather, I listen to CBC now in the morning. Um, <laughs> 
had a few individuals on from the gaming sector and they were like, you know, we weren't recognized or we weren't given the thing that was important to us. And, you know, they certainly, that was the one that was very vocal very quickly after the budget came out. But, you know, if you look at all of these different sectors, I, I appreciate the value of understanding what to incentivize in which sector, but I also appreciate how hard it is to do that on a one-off basis and, and customize the yeah. solution every time just by the amount of red tape and the, the, the political will to do that on a one-on-one -on -one basis, it, that's, it's, very, it's very challenging. I don't want to underestimate that you can't just, that's not a, a magic wand that can be waved, but I appreciate understanding everybody values something differently. And if you don't have a true value proposition for that sector, using an incentive to get them here is actually an error because you're, you're going you're gonna to stumble and trip over your alleged value because the value proposition isn't there. It's, it's like selling by giving a discount without actually selling because the customer values that product. It always blows up like almost every time. <laughs> Yeah, and, and you hear a lot about uh, not wanting to pick winners and losers because inevitably when you when you gear an incentive towards one sector or another, you're telling somebody else that they're not getting it or they're not it. Um, and so, I mean, this might be equally as controversial, but I don't see it as picking winners. I see it as backing winners. <laughs> and, uh, words, and words, matter, sure that... words matter, words matter. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it... it, it from purely maybe not a political standpoint but an economic development mm -hmm. standpoint when you identify what you're what you can win on as a jurisdiction and then you resource that that is a recipe for for success when it comes to economic diversification and, and investment attraction and and the, and that was done with the petrochemical sector uh, with the um, Alberta petrochemical incentive program and it's it's paid dividends, mm -hmm. and yeah. so so you can look it, back and historically, well, there's been there's been times when we went all in on something, and the government you don't realize yeah. now that that was because the government put focus on a certain area, SAG D, the whole SAG D, that area in Zender was was a whole was an initiative program, which now as someone looking at it from the outside who didn't grow up in that sector, I didn't know that unless someone until someone told me like, hey, don't forget that the government actually helped make that happen, right? Mm -hmm. Is there any? And it doesn't have to just be incentives. It's. Yeah. Uh, you know, also regulatory. So geothermal was an area that was a, an opportunity, but completely underdeveloped for Alberta for a long time. And it's because we did not have a regulatory framework specific to geothermal. Uh, geothermal projects had to follow basically the same uh, regulatory process as uh, drilling an oil well, which is completely different. And so it was actually only in the last year or so when the government decided to to make a, a regulatory framework around geothermal development that it started to take off. So it, it it is beyond incentives, but that that in and of itself can act as an incentive um, and, a, and a cost saving measure for companies. I just really appreciate the complexity of doing that across different sectors. Is, is there any risk that from your perspective and that we're trying to diversify too much. And maybe that's a weird thing to say versus going, you know, this is the sector like backing the winners. We're, we seem like we're put, we're hedging our bets right now. It feels like we're investing in a lot of different, there's a lot of hubs and spokes floating around versus, you know, we have an ag background and we have huge innovation and huge history there. And we, and we did that. And then you got the petrochemical and the fossil fuels industry. We've done that. And now it, you know, the tech sector, which means so many things. It's not, you know, it's not even just the sector. Any concern from your perspective when you're out there, you know, that we we are trying to have, we're trying to hedge our bets too much or am I just over, am I oversimplifying it by overcomplicating it? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> you, you follow yeah, yes, I, you, <laughs> as I'm thinking out loud. Yeah. Yes. There, I mean, there is a risk, uh, in, in too much of a good thing, I guess, if we're going to put it that way, um, in trying to be all things to all people. 
and uh, every sector is really exciting and there's a lot happening across the world. A lot of jurisdictions want to capture a piece of all of it, right? Because COVID was so challenging for so many sectors and, and a lot of areas want to support those sectors because not all sectors recovered equally. And, uh, and yet COVID also was exciting for certain sectors because they, they accelerated and they took off. Um, certain trends were just amplified to the nth degree. And so I think there's a tendency across jurisdictions to look at um, the growth, the projected growth in a lot of sectors and say, well, we want to be in that. Oh, and in that and in that. <laughs> and uh, so I think at the end of the day, it's a matter of like we talked about coming back to what is our core value proposition um, and do we have the investment drivers for specific sectors? And then on top of that, how do we measure up against our competitors? And then making our decisions based on that. So data-driven, research-driven decision-making as opposed to we think it would be really neat to be in um, wineries. <laughs> I, I, know a few people um, might, I, think, I know a few people that might think that would be neat and, and, and really would be all behind yeah. it. I, I appreciate your perspective of kind of also and not forgetting to look at the competition and say, well, you know what? Arguably, that jurisdiction is better, quote unquote, qualified. Or, you know, a, a, an old creative director of mine used to say, he goes, permissibility. Like if you, if you have to have the permission from your audience to even believe the thing that you're saying, we're really good at this. Mm, I don't know if I believe you. There's so much of that. And like yes. you said, it is very data driven, but it's also subtle when you're out there in a sales environment, you're meeting people and you say something, they're like, if they don't see you like that or see you as the opposite of that. It's a big chasm you just created to try to get that cust potential customers or customer, that person to buy into what you're saying, what you're, what you're saying in terms of what's possible here. It has to be credible, yeah. right? No, and uh, and I hear a lot about, um, you know, when we talk about selling Alberta and selling our opportunities and our brands, I hear a lot of people say, well, I think we just, our problem is we're too humble. We need to be more boastful. I, I couldn't even say that without laughing. Um, <laughs> I have heard that said once or twice. I may have said it myself. I will, I will neither admit nor deny. It's probably recorded somewhere, so I'm pretty sure I'll be busted if I said I didn't say it. <laughs> It's a, but, 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 it's, but, but it's, confident it's in up what there area with the, in what area about what? <laughs> yeah. And I, I actually don't think being boast, know, not so being funny. boastful yeah. is our problem. It's a, uh, yeah, it's it, that, that line is up there with the get off the uh, royalty roller coaster. Yeah. Um, but I actually, I take a bit of a different view. I think it's, it's not that we need to be more boastful. It's that we need to be realistic about what our strengths are and we need to be targeted. And so simply going out there with a bullhorn saying, we're amazing, you should be here, is not gonna do us any good. <laughs> it's uh, the competition globally has really increased from COVID and, uh, and it's increased opportunity, but like I said, also competition. So for me, it's a matter of um, where can we win, specifically what can we win on and what do we have that others don't and narrowing in on that, those markets and those sectors and being really targeted and really specific and really honest about where we are great and maybe where we're not. If you had to go out there with only two sectors in your pocket, maybe three, maybe one, however you want, I'm putting you on the spot on this question. So if you want to take the fifth on I have this. to pick my favorite children. Yeah, be, be, kind of, yeah. That's, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, we, we, we won't tell them what you said. Um, but is there any that you would say, yeah, these are the ones that I think we need that I would take? And knowing I'm looking at a very diverse list on your website here, so I know this is maybe a tough spot to put you in, but this is one of those things that we might edit out later. Hard to say. Um, which ones, which ones, <laughs> pick, I'll just let you say what you said. Pick your favorite children. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> so I'm going to do the, the politician thing and, and answer a different question. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was risky. I thought not... I would take a shot at this one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally kidding. I, uh, I think for it's, it's less about which sectors and it's about what within the sectors. So I actually, um, you know, do I think that we focus on a lot of sectors? Yes. And that, that is a risk, right? Because you only have certain resources and if you're spreading yourselves too thin, there's, there's a risk there, but the way we've, I think accounted for that is, and, and I would do this no matter if we had six or, or, or two, but um, is to drill down into the specific subsectors or sector uh, based opportunities that we can win in. So it, it's not so much whether I would pick energy or agriculture, it's what in energy would I pick to focus on. And so I try to look at where are these sectors going? Where's the investment trends going? And then what can we be competitive for in those? And I think, you know, the, the ones that come to top of mind for me right now, um, where I would say we have the biggest opportunity and would be in hydrogen, uh, plant protein. Hmm. And um, I would say clean tech, um, possibly agrotech. Interesting. And now those are still yeah. fairly broad. Mm -hmm. No, but I, I appreciate, because, you know, I, I appreciate the way you navigated got, the question. Yeah. You know, hydrogen, <laughs> I've had lots, I've, lots of conversations about hydrogen, have people on the show. I'm quite excited about it, and I'm, I've, I'm really interested and, and optimistic about where that's headed in our province. So who better qualified than us? And then clean tech, I would put in the same category. There's some fantastic stories coming out of, you know, the province. And the plant-based protein, I haven't, I, again, gets on my radar, but of course, tying to ag makes a lot of sense. It's just a sector I don't know as much about. But, you know, certainly the hydrogen and the clean tech are no-brainers, and plant-based protein should seem also obvious based on, like, we were ag before we were anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were egg, but um, I think it, it's we have a, a trend across all natural resources and commodities mm. where we tend to uh, take something that we have an abundance of and then we just grab it and sell it before we refine it or <laughs> ah, add value okay, to changing it. Okay, changing the, where we sit in the supply chain. <laughs> yeah. So we're the largest uh, exporter of pulse crops, which is peas, beans, and lentils mm -hmm. types. Um, and, and canola can, uh, is, is a potential plant protein source as well. Um, we are the largest exporter of that, but we don't generally, like we have a few, um, but, but in the magnitude of, we don't process that and we don't process it into, um, plant protein based ingredients. We don't take it then and process it into plant-based food. Uh, and that is one of the biggest growing uh, aspects globally in agriculture. It's so first of all, there's that the this prospect of a food shortage globally. I mean, we have so many more people to feed and so much so much fewer food to feed them with. But then also the the trends in some of the biggest markets in Asia, in the US, um, in in various other markets as well is they are moving towards plant based protein. So just every aspect of that is is a growing opportunity and we are so well positioned to be able to provide it um and it's an untapped opportunity for us we really haven't leaned into it yet and so i guess that would be if i'm going back to your what else is missing in the budget um we are really competing primarily with saskatchewan they are so scrappy <laughs> they are i mean and i'm seriously scrappy and aggressive they like we have projects going on and and they will call up the companies and they'll say we'll do whatever it takes to get you here and so the landscape for these projects is incredibly competitive we should be winning 
and we can win and we have won some, but um, that's where some targeted programming uh, to make that more competitive can be really valuable. Having a scrappy neighbor keeps you on your toes. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when our, our recent, uh, our, new, our new mayor, uh, you know, came out with her um, climate crisis position immediately after election. And I think it was the premier of Saskatchewan said, well, just in case anybody's listening, we're good. Come on over. You know, just, it was that kind of, that just slightly right, you know, right on the edge of it. But I appreciated how quickly he got in the media and, and put out his position, which was a little bit scrappy. I like, I like that. I'm okay with, I'm <laughs> the mayor okay of with Lloyd scrappy. Minster doesn't like when I, yeah, the mayor of Lloyd Minster doesn't like when I, uh, I, I talk about how we're, we're competing against Saskatchewan. <laughs> Depends on which side of the street you're standing on <laughs> in Lloyd. Yeah. I said, well, we could just annex the rest of Lloyd Minster. But... <laughs> well, that hasn't been playing out well on a world stage, so let's try to keep it down to a dull moment. Anyway, that was a bad reference. Um, uh, I'm from Dawson Creek, BC. We tried to become part of Alberta, and Alberta wouldn't take us. Oh, no so way. I don't know that. I, don't, I, don't, I feel that that's a whole other story. Of border battles there. going on. I lived in Quebec through, through, um, through a referendum and through a lot of... Uh, so. When I moved to Alberta, I felt like I was a political refugee because all you ever talk about is what's political and the angst and growing up in, in Quebec, moved here. And you know, where I was coming off 40 years of one government, one perspective. And clearly the world has become a lot more interesting in the last 10, 20 years. <laughs> Uh, Lynette, thank you so much. I've learned a ton today. One, uh, specifically about what you guys are doing at Invest Alberta. I love your perspective and I love your ability to wade into some interesting questions. I put you on the spot a couple of times, which I really, I really I appreciate. And I think our audience knows none of these questions are canned. So the conversation creates the, creates the question. I just get the, op the privilege of being able to ask it. <laughs> and my poor guests get the opportunity to answer it if so they choose. What's the best way for people, like obviously investalberta.ca, you guys have a great website, you lay out mm -hmm. the sectors and everything you're involved in. People want to learn more, they want to reach out and chat with you or chat with your team or even get involved. What are the best avenues? Um, yeah, website is, is a good avenue for, you know, general inquiries or if you're, if you're looking to get in touch with our leadership team or our international offices, all of the contact information is on there. Um, I got to give a shout out to our marketing team who created, I think, just an amazing website and, uh, and, and we're really proud of it, but we're continuously improving it. And um, also social media. I mean, encourage everybody to follow us on LinkedIn and on Twitter and also giving a shout out to my social media team because we've actually really upped our game there and we've, we've received feedback from investors uh, that that's, that's been a difference maker in oh, them reaching out to yeah. us. So, it takes a lot of time uh, to can, play that game, to, never, never to be underestimated, to do it, it especially to play, to, play yes. it, to play it well. But if I'm looking in from around the world and I can just pop on LinkedIn or I can pop on Twitter and you guys are active, that, that tells me a message as well about how, how serious you are and how committed to it. Just curious, how big is your team? You have 11 offices uh, around the world. What, how, big is, how big is your team? Because it feels like it might be bigger than it is, but maybe I'm not you know, knowing the full scope. And I may not have a specific headcount because it's been okay, growing no, pretty uh, rapidly, but uh, I think we are around total in um, around the world. We're in in around the seventy nice. people mark. Um, so that's I think roughly evenly split between Alberta and um, and our and the rest of our global team. Okay. And uh, so so we do have a, a pretty significant presence between Edmonton and Calgary. Uh, and for those those who are wondering, uh, Edmonton versus Calgary, it's roughly equal. <laughs> I like to say Edmonton and Calgary. We, you put the verses in there; it's immediately problematic. <laughs> yeah, we we get accused by Edmonton of being only in Calgary. We get accused of Calgary of being only in Edmonton, but no, we have. Oh, equal you can't people. make all, all your stakeholders happy, Lynette, as we've all learned. Well, uh, and if people are are looking for me specifically to send me either hate mail or uh, I suggestions. Doubt that. I doubt that. <laughs> 
they can reach me on LinkedIn or um, uh, on on our website. Uh, I believe there's a connection to, to be able to send me an email directly. So I appreciate it. Thanks. I love um, when people put themselves yeah. out there and that's, it's the, there's no better way to, than just have it. There's not much can't be worked through without a good conversation is kind of my philosophy around life. But <laughs> really impressed and I'm, I get on these conversations primarily, again, a selfish audience of one to learn as much as I can about things happening in our province that I'm not aware of. It makes me really excited and proud to know that you guys have that kind of a footprint out in the world. You're putting that kind of investment in. It's what I, if, if you don't know what's going on here, it's because you're not paying, if you don't think there's anything going on in our province, it's because you're not paying attention. There's so many interesting initiatives that you know fly under the radar until the second they don't until the second you announce a big mm -hmm. deal and then you guys slip into the background and oh this thing has happened <laughs> now and you are out there spending 18 to seven year 18 months to seven years you know farming it and and working working that opportunity to get them to come to our province but i see nothing but positive things ahead and stories like this leave me really inspired so thank you thank you for the opportunity honestly most of what we do is confidential until it becomes public so we're kind of like an iceberg that way where most of it is beneath the surface and you just see kind of the tip poking out of the water um so it, it is great to have an opportunity to talk a little bit more about what we do and uh and i think like you said most people don't really know that we're we're doing anything until they see an announcement in the newspaper and if they see it so i appreciate the opportunity tyler and and thanks for um, just all you do with the podcast and, and promoting these kinds of conversations. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. And stay tuned for anybody who enjoyed this chat. We will. We didn't get into what's coming down the pipe and what deals are you excited about or what has you closed in the last few months. So we, we skirted around a lot of those, but we're going to be having some follow-ups. And I think there's going to be a little bit of a regular uh, stream of information coming from you guys so we can get this out on the on the radar. And, you know, yeah. a little bit of optimism and seeing things moving in the good direction. And there's a lot of opportunity in this province. And I think that we're all ready to shake off the last few years and, 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 and just get on with it because we're very good at that as Albertans as well. <laughs> yeah. And we do have some really exciting things coming um, up in the next couple months. So there's that little seed of optimism for everybody. And this will probably land. This will probably go live in the next few weeks. So people will be listening going, oh, I think they've already done that. And so that's the whole thing is that keep it multiple points of contact and letting people know what's going on in these stories. So Lynette, we can keep going all day. I have no question about that. But thank you very much for taking the time today. I really enjoyed meeting you. And that was great. Thanks, Tyler. It was great.